Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Mark's Gospel, the 13th chapter. Your bulletin has verses 1 through 8, and towards the end of this week, as I read in it deeper, I wanted to add a few more, so I'm going to read all the way through verse 11. So when it stops in your bulletin, don't worry, I'm not making something up, I'm just adding to it. So hear with me now the words of the Lord. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones... What magnificent buildings. Jesus replied, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here we left on one another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming that I am he and will deceive many. When you hear rumors of war and of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and the kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famine, and these are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings and witness to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time. For it is not you that is speaking, but the Holy Spirit. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, as we gather for this hour, let us leave our worries behind. Let us push them to the far corners of life. Let us leave our lists our tasks, our calendars. And during this hour, let us be with you. Let us tune our ears to the gentle whisper of your voice. Let us focus the eyes of our heart to see you in our midst. And let us open our very souls up to you to receive the nourishment of your spirit so that we would come away from this hour having spent with you better people, not just hearers of words, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. In the movie, The Gladiator, you have Maximus the general, the great Roman general who has been betrayed 
and he has been sold into servitude as a gladiator. And in that role, he strikes up friendship with an unlikely character, another gladiator by the name of Juba from one of the African territories. Now what precedes all this is that Maximus's son and wife are brutally murdered by the emperor and the praetorian. And so in the religious custom of that day, he communicates with them in the afterlife by pulling out little figurines occasionally and he talks to them as if they are present. And Juba watches this happen from time to time and he asks him one time, he says, do you miss them? And Maximus says, I do. And he says, do you think you will see them again? He says, I will see them again. I know this to be true. And Juba says, yes, my friend, soon you will see them again, but not yet. Not yet, but soon. And so as the movie unfolds, he goes to Rome in the Colosseum, and Maximus wins the favor of the crowd as the greatest gladiator of all, and he ends up tragically dying. But he's carried out on his shield, and the, the movie ends with this scene at sunset. Juba there, as the sun is setting over Rome, and he's digging in the ground, and he places those figurines that Maximus carried, and he pats the dirt. He says, farewell, my friend. I will see you soon, but not yet. Soon, but not yet. And it's in that moment, this idea of soon, but not yet, there's this acknowledgement that there is more work to be done, that there is something that is to be happening. It's almost if he, if he borrowed a line foreshadowing from the movie Shawshank Redemption, where they say, get busy living or get busy dying. Soon, but not yet. So as we draw closer to the end of the year, now, maybe just as a side note, I don't know if y'all know this, that in the church, we actually work in the Methodist church with four different calendars. I mean, this is not confusing. Try sitting in my seat, figuring out which one I'm working off of today. But we've got the conference calendar, which sort of works from July to June. That's when we appoint our ministers and all of our ministries sort of do everything. Then we have the school calendar, or we call it here in the church, the program calendar, which follows that school calendar, September through August. All our ministries generate off of that. Then there is a calendar that most of you live off of, you know, the Julian calendar, the January through December. We also refer to that as the fiscal calendar. That's how our budget works, how our leadership lists work here at the church. And then there is the liturgical calendar. If this is not all yet muddy enough, the liturgical calendar starts in Advent and ends at Christ the King Sunday. Which, by the way, that's next week. So as we, when I say we're getting close to the end of the year, we're getting close to the end of several years, but specifically the Christian year. So as we get close to the end of the Christian year, that liturgical calendar, where we've traced the life of Jesus from birth up until his second coming, we have this hope that Jesus will return as King and Lord of our lives. As we get close to that, the passages in Scripture start to take this bend to thinking about that, about the return of Jesus, about what will come next when God's kingdom is lifted up for all the world. So this passage today, Jesus is in a way predicting what it's going to look like to the disciples. He wants to be fully transparent about this. He says, 
You know, they were in awe of the building, in awe of the temple. I mean, the temple was the heart of Jewish worship. It was the heart of their life. It was the house of God. It was where God lived. And so they came out of the temple and they were just remarking of how magnificent it was. And then Jesus kind of hits them square between the eyes and says, you know, there's going to come a day when none of this is standing. None of these massive stones that took centuries to build, none of these are going to be standing here. Now imagine if you're the disciples. Your whole world just got turned upside down. They can't fathom this building coming down. They can't fathom that. So when they get to the, when they get to the Mount of Olives, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they come to him and they say, Jesus, when's this going to happen? I mean, there's great consternation in their, in their hearts because what they're really afraid of, they want to know when because they say, are we going to witness it? Are we going to witness this absolute destruction? Is this going to happen in our lifetime? How do we get ready for it? And Jesus describes to them that these calamities, that they're really just the birth pains. It's just the beginning of what will bring and usher in the greatness of what God wants, the kingdom restored, where heaven is on earth and not just in heaven. He's essentially saying soon, but not yet. So if you look at verses 9 through 11, those verses are added, you start to get an idea of what he's trying to warn them about. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over on account of me, but the gospel still must be preached to all the nations. And then later he says, not only that, when you're there, don't worry about what to say. When you're brought before the courts, don't worry about how to defend yourself because the words that you will speak are the words of the Holy Spirit. I will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And so this passage carries sort of the same admonishment to us. This idea is, well, to think about our lives and how we interact with God's kingdom. I mean, maybe just what's vexing the world around us today are signs that we need to get busy helping show the world that there's a better way. That we have an opportunity to show a glimpse of what God's kingdom can look like. Maybe what's happening today is a call to us to preach the gospel by our very lives. Not just our words, but by the way you and I live. And then finally, that no matter what, that God is right with us, walking beside us, walking with us, that we don't have to fear that. Because God is right in our midst. And so this passage becomes a valedictory, if you will, for a, a, a waning year, a waning liturgical year. But it also becomes a mission statement, a challenge for the year to come. For how we want to live in that new liturgical year. When Advent 1 starts, how do we want to be as followers of the one who came to be in our midst? had this professor in seminary, Mickey Eford. He was a Bible professor. I took him for a class on Paul and the letters of Paul, but he also taught a lot in Old Testament and New Testament. And I remember that when we were in our class with Paul, he was talking when he says, you know, Mickey Eford, you have to understand, just imagine if you could take Matlock and Andy Griffith, fuse them together, and put them in a seminary professor, and what you've got is Mickey Eford 
to a T. He just stood there one day and says, you know, when you all get out into your first church, they're going to want you to teach a Bible study, and you should. He said, but they're going to want you to do it. And you're going to get eager because you're young and you're eager seminary students. You're going to say, yeah, I'll be glad to. And you're going to say, what do you want to study? And you know what they're going to say, right? Revelation. Revelation, because no one understands this book, and it's full of all this mysticism and all this talk about the end times, and there's all this fear, and they're saying, what does it all mean? He says, don't start there. That's the end. Thus, the end times. He says, start at the beginning. Start at Genesis. Start at the story of God's love. So let's think about these passages today. Think about what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the end but wanted to make sure that the disciples didn't, didn't miss the beginning and the meat of the matter. But so often, that's what we worry about. We worry about that. I mean, think about the whole Left Behind series, or you may remember the movie from, I don't know, the 80s, 90s, somewhere thereabouts, the movie Seventh Sign. We're talking about the pit preachers in college campuses that tell the kids to turn or burn and try to strike fear in them. But what if we listen to what Jesus is saying here? Maybe these signs are just that opportunity, the birth pains he used to usher in something new, to show the world a better way to be. So try this on with me, this idea that maybe they are just a way to think about an opportunity for ministry. And we read about fires and floods and drought and hurricanes, and we hear all this conversation about climate care and climate change, everything else, maybe this is a call to us as Christians, as followers of the one who was sent to us to care for creation. Maybe we do like Mickey Eifert says, we go all the way back to the beginning. And think about in the beginning, there was that ordered creation. And then when humanity was created, we were put in charge of it. Top of the food chain and told, take care and take charge of creation. Didn't say subdue it and beat it to death but take care of it because all life is interwoven in creation. Maybe that's a call for us to think about our impact and how we, the footprint that we make in the world along creation, and maybe we should be called to live more faithfully to that biblical message of caring for creation. Or maybe if you're paying attention to the statistics, the rise in suicide and attempted suicide, addiction and the opioid crisis and overdoses, maybe what that is is a call for us to wake up and realize that people right around us, maybe even someone sitting on the pew with you today, is suffering. Their mental health is fragile and they are just at the breaking point. And maybe this is a call for us to care for them and to care for each other. To say that you matter in your health, your mental health, it matters. Just as a sidebar, if you're listening to this today and you're struggling, and you think that no one notices you, that you think that you don't matter, you think that life is not worth living, let me stop you right there. It is so worth it. Please don't sit there by yourself suffering with that. Pick up the phone, call someone. Call an adult you trust. Call a friend you trust. Call a leader in the community. Call 911. There are people that want to help you and tell you that life is worth it because we believe that. That's what Christ shows us. So don't suffer there. 
Maybe this is our call to care better for each other. If we look at stories of violence and gangs and riots and protests, strikes and marches, what we begin to realize is maybe it's people just screaming out that they are tired of being unheard, tired of being mistreated, tired of being ignored, marginalized, or not counted. This is a call for us to stop and to really listen. Listen to each other, listen to what they're saying, to take a hard examination of the way we live our lives, but a hard examination of our policies, our practices, our pay scales, work conditions, even the contradictions that tend to exist in the world around us, and to seek a better solution where everyone wins and everyone feels valued. Everyone feels important, but not just feels it, but knows it. And the best way we do that is listen to each other, really listen to what they're saying and ask ourselves, not to say that, oh, you don't mean that. No, they do mean it, but what is it they're really talking about? Get to the bottom of the matter. And in that two-way conversation, talking and listening, asking probing questions, not judging, asking probing questions for clarity, we come up with a solution for all of us. These are just three examples of maybe how we can look at the calamities of the world around us and we can usher in God's kingdom. That beloved community where all of us are equal in God's eyes and brothers and sisters of one human family, a beautiful fabric created by God for the good of all humanity. Is there hope in this? Yes. Is all lost? No. Is it what God wants for us? Right now, no. But the future, yes, if we're willing to push up our sleeves and say, here I am, send me. That begins to be the beginning of the kingdom. Where we're willing to say, right here where I am, I will build the kingdom one block at a time by doing these things. It's that idea he's talking about, about preaching the gospel to the nations. When you were looked upon, <coughs> excuse me, to preach it. It's part of our calling as followers. I mean, we're called to follow the risen Christ. We're called to follow in a way that's not just by our words, but by our actions. We tell our confirmation class when they stand at the altar, when we're practicing with them just before that service, we tell them this is not a one and done kind of a deal. You don't just stand up and raise your hand and say, yes, I'm a follower and it's over. The journey is really just beginning. It is how our life unfolds, how we live and practice our faith. It becomes a very personal journey. And it starts actually every day. Every day when you look in the mirror, you have this opportunity to ask yourself that one meddlesome question that John Wesley asked of all of his leaders, all of his groups. How is it with your soul? Now, that's not a trite question. That's one of those deep questions that has layers upon layers. You could say, oh, it's great, but that's not really what he's after. How is it with your soul? It's about the relationship that you and I have with God. It's on a very personal level. How is it with your soul? How are you practicing your faith? How are you living a life like Christ? 
It's about that relationship. Sometimes we need a yardstick, a measuring stick to figure out how we're doing. So we try that a little bit every once in a while. We try things like with our pledge card, for example. This year is a great example. Not only are we talking about how much you're willing to give to the church, but we talk about those areas of prayer and worship attendance and service. There's a reason behind that. Sure, we're talking about how much are you going to commit to give to the church. It's about helping us set our budget because our finance committee doesn't want to get over our skis in dreams of what we want to do. But really what that question is about, it's a contract, if you will, between you and God. It's a conversation between you and God about gratitude. You know, the biblical standard says that we are to return 10% of the blessings in life. I mean, everything we have comes from God. And so the biblical standard we read in the Old Testament is 10%, which means that we get to keep 90% of the blessings. I don't want you to put on your card. Does it reflect a life of gratitude for what God has given us? The next question about prayer is really, John, how much time are we willing to spend to pray and to listen, to offer our petitions, but to pray for the success for others, to pray for the good of the world, but to listen to God? How is it with your soul? How much are you really listening? How much are we really listening to what God wants for us? The idea about worship attendance is not to fulfill my dream of packing the house out. No, it's about how much are we willing to come together to worship to return thanks, to praise, to listen to God through all the forms of worship, the liturgy, the silence, the prayers, the spoken and preached word, even the music. God is speaking to us through all these elements, most definitely through the sacrament. Penelope Gray this morning tucked her finger in the water just as Kate was beginning the liturgy, and she stared at it, she was amazed at it. That kind of curiosity about sacrament happens when we're in worship. And the service is about how we're willing to go out and take what we hear, what we know, what we know in our hearts, what God has given us and use it for the good of the world. So what if we start tomorrow with that question in the mirror? How is it with my soul? How we preach the answer to that question as much as the same way I think about a garden hose, you know, if you're, if you're watering flowers and you don't use a spray nozzle, you just sort of let it drip out of the hose. Before you carry it, you don't want to drag water all over the yard, you sort of crimp it, right? Well, you, can feel, you can feel the pressure building so that when you uncrimp it, the water just bursts forth because there's all that pressure. Imagine if we got serious about what we do in practicing our faith, that we decided just to gush it out all over the world around us. We think about it, we could be mentoring you through big brothers and big sisters or the YMCA, or tutoring those that are at risk educationally. I mean, there's a learning deficit thanks to the pandemic where our children are suffering to volunteer with the Winston-Salem Street School or the school in your neighborhood to call them up and say, look, I've got time on my hand. I would be willing to help some student who is struggling. Folks, that's preaching the gospel. For those of you that have medical skills to help with Shalom Project, to help those that are medically fragile, or to feed the hungry through loaves and fishes. Kate alluded to this. Folks, we gave 200 bags last year in the midst of the pandemic. We can do 250 or more, but surely we can do 250. There's an article in today's paper that talks about how the food banks are struggling with a high cost of food. It's tough out there. But if we've been blessed, can't we give a little more so that everyone eats? 
We can teach our faith helping through Sunday school or youth group that the next generation learns what matters to us. That we can teach and facilitate groups for ourselves so that we'll grow together and in a small group ask that question, how is it with our souls and be vulnerable with each other? To welcome people that are looking for what we know we have found here. Invite them in. To do as Brett said in his prayer, to acknowledge the helpers. I mean, a lot of times I talk about this and I talk about the clerks and the stores. But we've got our first responders, our teachers. Heck, if you go to the doctor's office, before you can see your primary care physician, you see about six to seven other people. What if you thank them for what they do to help keep us healthy? See, this new way of acting, this new way of living is really just preaching the gospel by our very lives, by our hands, our feet, our words, our time. And we're showering the world with God's love, preaching good news to all the nations. The world begins to realize that we are that outpost, that outpost of God's love ushering in a change in the way the world treats itself and each other. So this can be two scary things. Stepping into the breach on the calamities of life and preaching the gospel by changing the way we live. But we know what God promises because we hear it right here in Mark. I will be with you. That was the whole premise of Jesus' ministry, God with us. He said it several times, I will be with you even under the end of the age. You will not be alone. I will send the Holy Spirit. I am with you. See, we were created to be in that relationship with God, and God has always been with us. So no matter what we face, it's just as Brett said, God is as close as our next breath. And so because of that, we have strength not to worry about tomorrow, but to focus on today and what today holds for us. We have strength to preach by doing and not worry about what others say or worry about getting it right, but simply because our heart is focused on doing God's work and loving the world. We have strength to look in the mirror and ask ourselves the hard questions. How is it with my soul? And begin working on the answer. See, this is what Jesus promised the disciples. You will not be alone. I'm with you. So I don't know how you work. I don't know how you go about life. I tend to make lists. I, I, I like making lists. It keeps me focused. And so I did this just a, uh, about two weeks ago. I started thinking about everything that I needed to do by the end of the calendar year. Also to mean is Christmas slash New Year's. And I started looking at it. It can be overwhelming to look at that list of all the things that have got to happen and all the stuff that's going on around us. But remember, in that time, we just start with the thing that's right in front of us. Christmas is six weeks away. Yes, I'm working on the Christmas Eve bulletins. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be great. That will happen soon, but not yet. The sermons for Christ the King and Advent 1 have to be written first. Soon but not yet. That idea of soon but not yet can be applied to our faith. We can worry about all the things that's going around us, but we can take care of what is right in front of us. Begin practicing our faith right now because we know that we can be a part of ushering in the kingdom if we preach our faith by the way we live our lives knowing that God is right beside us every step of the way. And therefore, we can ask ourselves that question. 
how is it with my soul? And work on getting to great, because we know what the layers really mean. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.